We're going to continue. We've been talking about kind of the foundation of our church. Okay. The foundation of this church, as we said, uh, when we took over this body. Um, I say took over like we dominated. We took over you guys. <laughs> Since we've been, the, Tracy and I have been uh, leaders in this church, we've kind of had to discover what church is to us and what that means to our body. And in the beginning, um, I was like, I don't want to cast a bunch of vision. I don't want to do this stuff because I don't want it to be about us. I want it to be about the kingdom. I want it to be about Jesus. Um, and in, in doing so, throughout the year, I realized that I'm, <laughs> I'm only the pastor of this church, so I have to have some kind of vision for what we do. Um, and we simplified it basically throughout the year to, uh, do you guys remember what it was? Plant, water, and enjoy the reward. It's as simple as that. We plant, we, we give the good news, grace through faith in Jesus. We disciple through relationship. We build up each other, not through a class necessarily, but through life on life. We build each other up um, through relationship and enjoy the reward. And what's the reward? Relationship. Relationship is the reward. And that's the revelation that's blown me away. We, uh, we went to kind of an impromptu Atlanta trip. We got invited by Chris and Alicia to go to Atlanta. He had a, a business thing up there, and so we got to get a free hotel, and it was cheap enough that we could make it. Um, and it was cool. The only thing is we're, I'm super frugal is a better word. I don't call myself cheap. I'm frugal. That's what I say. Tracy's shaking her head. No, you're cheap. Um, and so parking at the hotel is like downtown Atlanta. Parking at the hotel is like $27 a night. I was like, no, we're paying $8 a night two blocks down. We can walk. We've been in New York. We can walk. So we paid 8 bucks when we got there. You had to pay it daily, and for some reason it renewed at 5.59 a.m. every morning. So I had to wake up early every morning and walk two blocks <laughs> and pay it again <laughs> and put the little sheet on top. Worth it. But the cool thing, <laughs> the cool thing is I didn't plan on doing that, and uh, it was jam-packed. We didn't spend a ton of time there, so we had a lot of things that we wanted to do while we were there, and we did. I can't believe we did all the things in such a short amount of time. But what was cool is I, I got to pray all the way there and, and just listen to what the Holy Spirit was telling me on the way there and on the way back and then go and get coffee and chilling out where everybody else slept. And, um, and Tracy hates waking up early, so it gave her an opportunity to not be bothered by me, like doing stuff like this. And so, uh, but one of the revelations I, I, I got on the way there um, or on the way back, one of the two, was just talking about reward, reward, reward. And the more I heard reward... Um, the more I started thinking about the different scriptures that have that in it and what that means and kind of talk about all that stuff. So the two things I want to talk about today, if I have time, I know we kind of went over and worship, but it was worth, worth it, uh, <laughs> was uh, where is heaven, location, where is heaven, and what is our reward? So we're going to kind of focus on those two things today. Um, so let me pray before I get into this. Father, just thank you for this time. Lord, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Lord, I submit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, many of you that have been here for a while already know some of these things, so some of it may sound a little bit repetitive, but I want to let everyone know kind of where we are before we get there. Um, eternal life is not life after death. How many of you know that? It's not just life after death. That's something that I, I thought for years and that I, even the church taught me for years after I got saved, um, that eternal life was just the life after death. And I always thought, and I've heard other people say, why not just hold us a little bit longer in baptism, just expedite that trip? Why do we hang out here? Um, but there's more to eternal life than just life after death. Are we kind of on the same page there? Eternal life starts the moment that you accept Christ's life as your own. Why is that? Eternal life, by definition, has no beginning and no end. You all have a beginning. Eternal life has no beginning and no end, so it's supernatural. It is radical. It is a miracle that we have eternal life, period. So when we accept Christ's life, we are accepting a life that has no beginning and no end. We are accepting Christ's life in us. 
This is, this is the new reality to us, right? So when we, when we talk about eternal life, we think about quality, not quantity. John 10.10 10 says, I have come that they may have life and they may have, and have it more abundantly. Is it raining? It was beautiful when I got here. That's crazy. I didn't do anything wrong. All right. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> so when we talk about eternal life, we think quality, not quantity. So it's not quantity. It's the quality of the life that we have. Does that make sense? It's, it is abundant life. It is real life. I, 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 I preached a sermon several weeks back about I was walking dead. I was a dead man for years. I was a dead man for 20 years, and I got saved, and I was alive in Christ. This isn't just life after death. This is new life. He gives us new life, brand new life. So I've come to uh, John 10, so I've come to give them life and that it, they may have it more abundantly. Uh, so now this is what rocked my world several years ago. Um, is that going to heaven after death is not the goal. That, that requires you to see a distance between you and heaven, right? So that sounds radical saying to anyone that may not have heard that before, but it seems very simple to me now because of all the scriptures that back it up. So now relationship is the goal, and Jesus brought heaven to earth and placed it in your heart, the seed that's in your heart, that kingdom we talked about for so many weeks. The, the kingdom is now a seed in your heart. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. So now heaven's in your heart, Right? Another supernatural thing, this isn't, this isn't basic stuff, this is kind of deep stuff, but this is reality that we live in. Now the seed of heaven is planted in our heart. So now, as, as we talked about this morning, the, the closeness, the, the hug or the, the closeness of Christ, he's with you all the time. You don't check him at the door. You don't, you know, leave him here and go off and then come back, you know, Sunday or Wednesday, whatever we do. He's with you all the time. So in every little thing that you do, he's there. It's beneficial. It's not a bad thing. It's good for us. And so the seed of the kingdom of heaven is given freely. Placed in, our, placed in your heart will continue to grow and produce fruit now and forever. Matthew 13, 31 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And you've all seen the little mustard seeds. They're teeny tiny. It, I, th- I believe he did that on purpose because it grows to be a big tree. It's not necessarily a vine. It grows to be a big tree. A real mustard tree does. It grows to be uh, a big tree, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so the birds can come and perch on its branches. So the kingdom of heaven is placed in your heart and then it begins to grow immediately. It doesn't wait until you die. Guess what? People in heaven don't need you. They're good, right? Who needs you? People now, right? So the kingdom of heaven is placed in your heart and it begins to grow. As it grows, it begins to produce fruit. Here's the cool thing. It is no less a mustard tree in its infant stage than it is at its, at, at its adult stage, okay? Like an oak tree, we'll, we'll take away this. We know oak trees, right? An oak tree is an acorn. When it begins to sprout, is no less an oak tree than when it is huge and massive, right? In the same way, though there's a process and things will begin to happen, you're no less righteous, you're no less um, holy, you're no less um, good than, than when the seed's planted. At that moment, that's who you are. Now, it takes time for you to begin to realize it, and we come in here and remind each other of it, but you're no less an oak tree when, when you're a tiny little Groot or whatever. When you're a tiny little, it doesn't matter. I didn't, we just saw it the other day. That's the only reason I thought of it. Um, you're, no less a Groot, you're no less a Groot. I'm, my mind, I have ADD kicking in. All right. Don't, don't, 
Don't, uh... All right, if you don't believe me, we're going to look at some scriptures. Hopefully you believe me, but we'll look at some scriptures if you don't. <laughs> I always like when people say, I'm going to be honest with you, I always think, what have you been doing up until this point? <laughs> Thank you, I guess. <laughs> uh, John 17, 1. If you want to flip there. I think I'll be in NIV the whole time. I know I flip-flop around because I'm spoiled to the computer, but I think I'm in NIV pretty much the whole time, as far as I know. John 17, 1. It says, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you, you granted him authority over all people, that he, he might give eternal life to all those who... <clears throat> to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. You ready for this? Here's the Bible's definition of eternal life. How did we miss this? This is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. How did we miss that? How have we thought it's just after we die that it's eternal life? Here's the definition of eternal life, that they know you. Knowing, as you've heard from me, is an intimate term. Um, and we talk about intimacy, it's not just don't over-sexualize it because that's what we think of in our culture. But intimacy is more than just uh, sexual intimacy. It is a deep, uh, deep, deep knowing of one another that, that comes from relationship, right? Um, and so that's the, the term here, all the way back in the Greek. That's what know, to, to know you. You know, when, when, uh, when Jesus says, you know, if you do all these things, you do all this stuff and you get to heaven, uh, God says, well, depart from me, I never knew you. Same term, I didn't know you. You can do all the things. You can do all the religious acts. You can do all the duties. I said duty. You can do all the, the uh, things that look good, but do you know him? Do you really know him? Um, to know someone is like a, a husband and wife together, their union, where they bear fruit. Now, I'm, tr- I'm trying not to get too many details to make anybody feel awkward, but obviously we all know what it means. Um, but there's a, a, a deep knowing of one another. And same term that Mary... Uh, used when she questioned God, like, how am I going to have a baby? I, I haven't known a husband. I don't know a husband. So in the same way, this knowing term is very close and very intimate. Now, it's important to realize this because, like I said, I, for years I was taught a separation theology where I was constantly trying to get to God and he was sometimes meeting me, I guess. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I was, I was trying real hard to do the good things so that God would be happy with me. And so it was a separation theology. Also, to, to, to make it even worse is heavens, you won't get to reap any reward at all until you get to heaven and die. So I created you. Good luck. <laughs> good luck on earth. It'll be good later, right? That's the theology that was taught for years. Um, but here's, <laughs> here's the cool thing. We can't be like God apart from God. That's what religion is. Religion is trying to be like God apart from God, T- taking... That's what the whole Antichrist, everybody talks about. Who's the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist is without God. Anything without, it doesn't even have to be against God. It's without God. What is hell? Hell is eternity without God, right? So the, 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 the opposite of our reward, which is what? Restored relationship with the Father, right? The opposite of that is no relationship with the Father. That's your punishment. You don't get to be with the Father. Who's good? It's not, it's not all this fear and, and manipulation it's good news. <laughs> it's the gospel, right? It's so much simpler than we thought. It's 
you get heaven now. When Jesus said, I came in my kingdom, I brought my kingdom with me, the kingdom, of God is, the kingdom of God is at hand. He brought it with him. He was like, here I am. I'm the king. I just do what my father tells me to do. I brought my kingdom with me. So, <clears throat> until, and this is what I was thinking about this morning, worship. This is crazy that it's raining right now. I guess I should have looked at my weather app. My God rains. I see what you did there. Until a woman is confident in a relationship, knowing and trusting her husband, will she give herself, truly give herself to him. This is no different with Christ. This is why he, we parallel marriage in the scriptures with marriage in, in our natural lives. You have to really trust and know someone to give yourself, to give your life to them. This is why relationship in our church is always first. It's paramount. Relationship is always first in everything that we do in here. Why is it so important? Because it's more important that people know that you care about them before you ever teach them anything. Because you can try to teach, trust me, I had teachers that tried to teach me a lot, and I don't remember anything they said. I was drawing, you know what I'm saying? I was, I was not paying attention to what they had to say. Most of the ones that didn't care, that's what I did. There was one history teacher, and I, care, I could care less, couldn't care less, couldn't care less about history, but that teacher cared, and he made it fun, and he... He genuinely cared about us and showed interest in us and wanted us to learn. And I learned and I made good grades in that class. But in other, in other class, I'm, I'm rambling now. Anyway, you have to know that someone cares for you majority of the time before you ever listen to what they have to say. Does that make sense? And this has been, to me, this has been the biggest hindrance of the modern day church is that we, we have separated ourselves so much from people that don't look like us or act like us or, or anything and forget where we used to be. Like, we've made this big separation. We're like, well, why can't we reach people? Well, you've created a divide for 100 years now. All you've done is pointed your finger and, and judged everyone by outward appearance and, and things that you know nothing about, and you haven't spent the time to build a relationship with them. That's why at our church, relationships can be number one. All right, I'll stop ranting. Galatians 4.9 says, I know I'm jumping around. Galatians 4.9, if you want to go there. But now that you know God, or better yet, are known by God, how is it that you were, you were turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? What is he talking about? He's talking to the Galatians about law and performance-based religion. Some of them at that time were going back to Judaism and talking about, well, yeah, Jesus is great, but we still need to be circumcised. We still need to go back to the law and still need to follow these things. Jesus is saying, no, don't you understand that those things are powerless now? Jesus has come and he's greater than those things. And so... What happens, what happens in a lot of people that begin to discover freedom in Christ begin to get either, either afraid because it, it, it requires of them, see how I can word this, it requires of them to really examine their hearts. When you begin to see that, that Christ came to give you abundant life and, and for his sake he set us free, it, it begins to say, okay, well now what do I want to do? This goes back to our want to. Now, it's not the pastor's job to create boundaries for you. It's not the law's job even to create boundaries for you. Now, you are free to do what you want. What do you want to do? That is a much more difficult thing to, a much more different, difficult area to traverse than you create rules for me and I'll follow those rules and I'll feel better about myself until I mess up and then you crucify me, basically. You, you, you make me feel real bad about it. Where was I? I lost my place. Okay, uh, flirting, <laughs> I'll say this, flirting with Moses is cheating on Jesus. I say that because 
we, we can all have a tendency to try to go back to a law-based, uh, performance-based religion. We have a tendency to try to go back to that. Why would we ever go back to an ex-husband who abused us and we could never live up to the expectations when we have a new husband who all he wants to do is build us up and love us? This is a, a, the, the brokenness of uh, not knowing real relationship because real relationship will grow you in that relationship. It will change you and you'll begin to develop in it. Uh, law did its job. I mean, the law wasn't bad. The law did what it needed to do and it pointed us towards a savior that we needed. Law said, you'll never live up to all these expectations. Let me take care of that for you. So the law was necessary. I'm not just talking bad about the law for the sake of talking bad about the law because I don't want to do the things. Now the law describes us. It's not the rules for us. Now the fruit that we bear begin to mimic those things that we see. Not we try to mimic them outside of Christ. We are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things. So this is the whole detractors of any kind of grace teaching, which is Jesus teaching. It's not something new or different. Any detractors try to say, well, you just have a license to sin. You're just giving people license to sin. People sin without a license all day long. I've never seen a sin license. The problem is people haven't been given the freedom to, to know God and know the Holy Spirit and depend fully on him. And that's where we're lacking. Amen. I have to show you Christ. That's my job. <laughs> I need to show you the Holy Spirit, and you need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Um, the cool thing is you guys embody that. As a church, we embody that, and we show people that. Um, we, and that's the fruit, not the root. That's why we say fruit happens. Fruit happens. It, it, it is produced by the tree. The seed that's planted in us begins to produce fruit. And you, here's a cool thing about the, the scripture that was talking about. You become a tree, and you bear much fruit, and, and you become a tree so much that birds begin to rest on your branches. You, you become a support system for the people around you. You become what's planted as a little seed, and you think you're so insignificant, and, and the, the kingdom begins to grow in you, and you begin to build confidence because of the Holy Spirit, not because you're great, not because of what you can do, because the Holy Spirit begins to produce in you fruit, and you begin to build confidence like, hey, this is pretty cool. I can do things that I didn't even think I could do. And you begin to grow these big branches or whatever, and then people, and, and you, <laughs> I swear this has happened to me, and you look up one day and you think, you still have this mentality. This is why we remind each other every time we come in here. We still have the mentality that we're still a little sapling or we're still a little seed. And then all of a sudden we look around and you see all these people perched on your branches. You go, oh, when did this happen? <laughs> when did I become, when did I become uh, a support system? When, when, did I, when did I actually become this thing? And you don't even realize it was little step by step when you were walking with the Holy Spirit. Just a little one day, one day at a time. His mercies are new every day. We've talked about we... Uh, we walk with Christ, we dance with him, and we just it's kind of like an ebb and flow. We just work with him. All right. John 5.36 says, I have, I have testimony weightier than that of John. <laughs> Everybody had such confidence in John. Jesus is like, hey, I'm better than John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them, listen to this, we talked about this last week too, you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. <laughs> Yet you refuse to come to, know, to, to me to have life. This is what we talked about last week, and I have my Bible. My, I have a Bible in here, but I had my paper Bible. I don't know where it went. I have a Bible, but I use my computer most of the time. But this is what I talked about. 
and it's scary to say because it sounds bad when you when you first hear it that we keep, we can't we can't build our lives on the Bible by itself because it's just a book by itself without the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is a living word, it's the relationship, it's the author that we read about that gives us new life. This is our our Western mindset that says we we learn from a science book about science. We don't learn about the author of the science book, right? In school, math book. We don't learn about whoever wrote the math book. We want to learn about math. But the Bible's different. We want to learn about the author of the Bible, right? We want to learn about the one who wrote it, which is God. God wrote it. So scripture is very important. <laughs> the Bible is the word of God. I'm not, I'm not saying the Bible is bad, but I know many people that know the scriptures but don't know the author. That's very dangerous. And, and the ones that I've known like that have been <laughs> words I can't say. No, they've been jerks. Some of them have been really, really mean, right? Why is that? Because they don't have the heart. They don't have the seed. They don't have the kingdom. They don't have the Holy Spirit. You can learn, just like I was talking about this morning, you can learn about someone all you want. You can even, you can even put into practice some of their teachings, and it could benefit your life temporarily. It can. There are people that take Scripture and call them good moral teachings, but don't believe in the supernatural Son of God, which is ridiculous. C.S. Lewis says it would be equivalent of a man who says he's a poached egg. <laughs> like, either Jesus was the Son of God or he wasn't. You don't run around giving good moral teachings and then say you're someone you're not, which would be an absolute lie, and say that you can raise people from the dead and do all this stuff. So either, he's, either he is who he is or he's not. Either we trust him or we don't, right? This is, this is real basic stuff here. So the author of the book is God. When we accept Jesus, we get his Holy Spirit. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, all the time. He's always with you. So then you have eternal life. Uh, they, were, they thought that in the scriptures they would have eternal life. And he's saying the scriptures testify about me. You refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. He's calling out the problem here. You guys know the scriptures. You know all the things. You know the right things to do. You know you wear the right clothes. You go to the right synagogues. You say all the right, you know, you give your tithes, whatever it is. You do all the, the rituals, right? But I know you. I know your heart. Here's the problem. You don't have God in your hearts. I've come to my Father's, I've come in my Father's name. It's verse 43, uh, John, 50, John 5, verse 43. I've come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one from another? But do, and this is what they were doing. They were building each other up. Look how good I am. Look how good I am. Um, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But do you think I will accuse you before the Father? Listen to this. Do you think I'll accuse you before the Father? Your accuser is Moses. The law, that's your accuser. Jesus is saying, look, like we talked about last week, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Is there judgment? Yeah, the law judges us pretty blatantly. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hope, on who your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. <laughs> but since you do not believe what he wrote, you're not going to believe what I say. So what he's saying, he's calling them out on their, their, their doctrinal issues. They're, they're so caught up in trying to do the things that they, didn't, they haven't gotten to know the one that's right in front of them that they need to know. Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says, these, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And right before that, in verse 6, it says, You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So what does tradition do? It nullifies the word of God. 
Think about that for a minute. Your traditions will kill the Word of God. That stings a little bit to some of us who have some lots of traditions. Have grown. I say fortunately. I'm unfortunate that I didn't grow up in church, but fortunate that I didn't. And I've talked to several of you guys and several other people about it um, that agree that I didn't. I wasn't so indoctrinated in church life that I I can see things a little more objectively. I guess does that make sense? And so I haven't gotten caught in a lot of the systems. And so now when I see them, I, I, they're clearer to me that it's, that's not what I see in Scripture. A lot of the church machines that I see, the multi-billion dollar sin management systems, <laughs> I, that seems really clear to me, but I, I don't know. Um, so this is the last part, and I'll let you guys go. Uh, I had one other thing, but I, I can talk about that next week. You, you guys remember the story of Mary and Martha? I'm not going to go all the way back to the Scripture, but you know the story. Uh, Mary was sitting at his feet. Martha was working real busy. Um, and Mary was just worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. Martha was frustrated at Mary because she wasn't helping, doing all the stuff. Sounds pretty legitimate argument there. Um, things need to get done. But here's the difference between serving and having a servant's heart. Do you know there's a difference there? All of the things that we've been doing kind of behind the scenes to structure how we're, we're trying to build a foundation here at our church and serving, I don't, I don't want anyone to just be servers. I want everyone in here to have a servant's heart, not so that we can have better church for people or anything like that, because I know that it's beneficial to you. Now, let's look at this. Martha asked Jesus to enter into her dysfunction. Jesus wanted her to enter into his peace. Do you see the difference? Martha said, Jesus, fix my situation. Jesus was saying that I would need to fix your heart. Do you see the difference? We all deal with different things and situational things, and we all want the situations to get better when Christ is only concerned with our heart. We get frustrated at people. We get frustrated at things. Even I saw a video... uh, not that long ago, this guy, was his wife was messing with him about a soccer game and kept turning the TV off. He didn't know it. He thought the TV was messed up. And he ended up throwing it and getting so mad because right when somebody was about to score, she would turn the TV off. He got so mad that he grabbed his MacBook Pro and threw it at the TV and busted both of them. <laughs> he was just so frustrated at the situation that he, was just, he destroyed thousands of dollars worth of equipment for that because he was just so caught up in his situation. But God's not concerned with your situation. He's concerned with your heart because your heart can change your situation, not the other way around. This is the difference between, we've learned several times, um, heart is not our emotions and your mind is not logic. That's what, that's what I was taught growing up. This is, your, this is thinking, this is logic. Your heart is all puppy dogs and butterflies and it's just love. That's not what it is. <laughs> Scripture tells us this is our core. And even in, in biology, your heart has its own brain, basically. You can be brain dead and your heart will still function. It has its own system to make sure it keeps pumping. It's separate from this. Your brain doesn't even even... Are you thinking about your heart beating right now? No. In the same way, your heart will continue to beat even though your brain will not. Does that make sense? The reason is, when we accept Christ in our heart, we begin to live outwardly, not this way. So we're not trying to convince... We're not trying to convince our heart through our thinking. Our heart has changed already, and so we are agreeing. This is the renewing of the mind. Metanoia, repentance. Repentance is not feeling bad for your sin. Repentance is renewing your mind because of the the heart that Christ has given you. So now everything you see comes from here, not just what you see. 
So we don't do, be careful to lie. We can't do this because you can't minister to anybody with your eyes closed and your ears closed. We, we draw everything from Holy Spirit, which is in our heart. Sorry, I went off on a tangent again. Back to Martha. Martha thought she had to perform for God's love. She didn't know that she was already loved. She didn't know that the love God had for her preceded her performance, right? Think all the way back to Jesus when he was baptized. Here's my son in him who I'm well pleased. He hadn't done a thing yet other than get lost. I mean, (laughs) build some stuff. He's a carpenter. But, I mean, he hadn't performed a miracle. He hadn't done anything at that point, right? His love precedes your performance. Right. And it's hard to think about because in our, in our day-to-day dealings, and I've talked about you guys when I grew up, kind of the, the whole hustle mentality, you do, for you, you do for me, I do for you. This is what's so hard, hard still sometimes it's hard for me to shake, um, is that I like to help people, and in, back in the day when I would help people, in the back of my head, I would think they owe me now, right? Have any of you been a part of that? Even if you don't say it, this is, and I don't want to meddle too much, I'm going to meddle a little bit, this relationally does the same thing in marriages and different things. I'm going to do something for you, and I expect something in return. That's a, that's a broken system. Be careful with that. You do for people because you care for them. If you get something in return, it's a bonus. That makes it better. But don't do, don't, okay, let's look at it this way. A, a gift is not a gift if you receive something back that's a trade, right? In the same way, relationally, a gift is a gift if you don't expect anything in return. That's a gift. Relationally, this is how Jesus deals with us. Christ deals with us differently than we see other people deal with other people. It's a different system. The kingdom is a different kingdom than our kingdom. Does that make sense? All right. So Martha thought she had to perform for God's love. She didn't know that that God's love preceded her performance. Martha's trying to tell Jesus what to do. (laughs) How many times have you done that in prayer? God, I need you to fix this situation. Instead of saying, God, what are you thinking about this situation? See the difference? It's a little different. Are we making it all about us or are we making it all about him? Who's, who's really in control? So Martha's trying to tell Jesus what to do back to a religious spirit. So a religious spirit does. They try to manipulate Jesus into backing him into a corner with scripture so that he can perform for you. How backwards is that? She's operating out of her fear and pressure, not love and security. Jesus wants Martha Martha to know him. That same term. She wants to, to know her. He wants to know her and she wants him, her to know him. Intimacy is God's heart for the Christian. Eternal life is relationship. So now we go back. Let's go here. Where is heaven? It's in our hearts, right? It's not distant. Heaven was deposited in your heart when you accepted Christ. So what's our reward? relationship, right? The, the very... We just, I'm going to go back to this real quick, and then I'll let you guys go. This, this trip we just took was really cool. Um, the first trip in a while we've taken without kids. We have kids with us all the time. We love our kids. Don't get me wrong. But it is good, and I recommend occasionally getting away from your kids for a little bit. And so one of the best things you can do for your kids is spend time with your spouse away from them occasionally. So they know that you love each other and you can, they, you can demonstrate that to them. It's very beneficial. I speak from experience. Um, but what was cool is on our trip, we hardly ever get to talk about things that aren't responsibilities, bills, 
You know what I mean? Issues, problems, family, you know, all these things that we always have to deal with. We just got to hang out on the trip up there. We listened to like some old music. Tracy wanted to listen to some Jewel. We listened to Jewel and some other stuff. And I listened to some old gangster rap, and I was like, took her down memory lane. I was like, look, this guy sampled from this guy back in like 1989. And she was like, I don't care about any of that. <laughs> but she remembered some of the newer stuff, and I was like, you know, this is like I'm trying to educate her on old gangster rap. It's pretty funny. But anyway, it was good. It was like so good to just talk about just nonsense, really, but just to hang out with each other and get to know each other even more. I mean, we know each other, but I mean, we've been together, I don't want to mess this up. Well, We've been married 16, 17, 16 years. 16 years? woo <laughs> Props to me, 16 years. Uh, been together almost 20, 18, probably 18 or 19 years we've been together. But just a short trip to Atlanta, we even got to know each other a little bit more, just talking and hanging out. Um, and what's cool about that is we didn't feel any pressure to do that. We didn't feel like we wouldn't love each other or we would be angry at each other if we didn't do that. Does that make sense? There wasn't pressure. There wasn't any kind of manipulation. There wasn't any expectation. Same thing we talked to Chris and Alicia a little bit about when we were on the trip. They're like, this is really cool because we didn't, we didn't really have any real big expectations um, of what we were going to do. It just kind of worked out some of the things we did. And I was like, this is pretty fun. I mean, it's just kind of neat to get away for a little bit. Um, and it was, it was just enjoyable. Here's the thing. If that's okay. You can enjoy your reward, which is your relationship. The revelation I got walking to the car that morning was a scripture, and I wanted to get into it more, but I just want to give this to you. I really feel like I need to give it to you. But I remember reading the scripture about uh, you, you have received your reward in full, talking about um, all the Pharisees that we get on street corners and, and have these real elaborate prayers and all these things. And, and, uh, and, and he says, this is, if you want to do that, that's fine, but you will receive your reward in full. So go in a secret place, talk to the Lord, and, and that's your real, your real reward. Um, and it, it goes on to say, store your treasures in heaven. Now, think about this. I always thought, well, store my treasures way off in heaven, right? Where's heaven? We know heaven's now here. Where are we storing our treasures? It's in our heart. Here's the cool thing. Our, what's the opposite of that? If, you, if they've received their reward in full, our, our reward is Christ and a restored relationship with him, right? Now, think about this. Um, if, our, if our relationship is restored, if our relationship is restored with the Lord and now we have a restored relationship with other people, we have the freedom to do that. So what's cool about that is we're not, we're not striving for something we already have. We, we're not striving for something that we want and we don't have. We are acknowledging that we have something and enjoying it right now. Does that make sense? So this, this whole, I always point that way. For some reason, heaven's up there somewhere. where We need to put that ceiling tile back. Heaven's beyond there somewhere in that deep crevasse. In that void, <laughs> in the void. Yeah, the narrow way. <laughs> Don't go in it through any of these other tiles. It's the narrow gate. <laughs> anyway, there, there goes my mind. I started thinking of some ridiculous stuff again. So, when here's the cool thing: when you're not striving to perform for God, God's acceptance, you can begin to minister to other people because you're not tied up being self-centered, trying to yeah. You're free now to, to actually do some stuff instead of trying to constantly gain his acceptance and constantly um, try to do better. You can actually enjoy the relationships, and you will end up being better. Why? Because you'll talk to people about things. When you need to pray, you can go, hey, we talk about confessing sins. We confess sins to who? Who do we confess sins to? 
one to another. So we go, okay, I'm dealing with this. Can you help me pray about this? Can you help me? Can you even help me deal with these things? I don't even know what to do with this. How do I, how do, I do this? And you can begin to confess your sins one to another, and you begin to grow in what? Relationship, right? This, this is the key, I think, that, that, that I've missed, that I missed for years, trying to go through the machine of performance and trying to do the best and do the right thing. And in turn, when I begin to see where I'm accepted, I actually have the freedom to do more than I did before. All right, I don't want to I'm preach a, a whole different sermon on that, but that was the revelation that I got about receiving your reward. So what's, the, what's the, the opposite of receiving our reward in relationship would be, what do people get that are prideful, that get up and boast about themselves? What do they get? They get a bunch of fake friends. They get a bunch of friends that, that talk them up, but they just want something that they have or something. I think a celebrities is a good example. Celebrities are, are arrogant and prideful, and then you always read about depression and drugs and suicide because they get up on this mountain, they think they're so cool and they're so awesome, and then they don't have any real friends around them. They don't have any real relationships, any deep relationships because they've got this, this machine going because they're, they're, they're standing up in front of everybody trying to be this great thing. In the same way, that's what they were acting like before. They were celebrities of their time. Pharisees were out there on the corners just talking about how great they were. The lack of relationship is the opposite. That's their reward that they were receiving full. Our, our reward is relationship now and forever, not just after you die. All right, I'll leave you all alone now. Stand up with me. <laughs> Stop badgering you with relationship. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, I don't really challenge you guys much because uh, it's just whatever, but I want to challenge you. <laughs> I want to challenge you to get to know somebody, whether it's in this church or somewhere else. I want to challenge you this week to get to know somebody that you, you don't know as well. And don't do it out of obligation to me. I, only, I shouldn't even say challenge you. I want to encourage you. You will benefit from it greatly, I guarantee you. It's the only reason I want to encourage you to do it. Not so that we can grow a church or not so that, that, you know, that you feel like you're a better Christian because you did it. I want to encourage you to do it because you will greatly benefit from it. Why is that? Because that's who God has created you to be. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have in here to, to just worship you and to, to, to speak your word. Holy Spirit, uh, we're not leaving you here. When we leave, uh, continue to convict us of righteousness. Continue to, to, to highlight people in our lives that we can build them up and speak life into them. Lord, uh, not just life, but abundant life, brand new life, real life. Lord, help us to identify um, the good things in people and begin to speak that into them so that they can see it the way that we see it. Lord, give us your glasses, your lenses so that we can see people the way that you see people. In Jesus' name, amen.